if you're new or just kind of checking out ECC off island, I'm the first to say that we're honored to have you. It is truly a privilege uh, to people that are coming and just seeing what we're about. We've been in the teaching series since October that we conclude next week that we've been looking at John 17 in a series called Follow Me. And, and we've been trying to come to grips with, well, what does it mean when Jesus looked out and he called out, follow me? And as a faith family, we have been hearing that same call. We have responded to Jesus saying, we will follow you. We will follow you even to the ends of the earth. Responding to the call to be a disciple, to be a follower, a lifelong learner and follower of Jesus. And we've been learning that as disciples here at this church, we, as we've been looking at the words of Jesus, we exist. Our mission is to glorify God by making and developing disciples. That is why we are here, to display His glory. And as a body, as a church, collectively, we accomplish that first and foremost by seeing people transformed by His Spirit, by seeing the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit change people from the inside out so that they're completely transformed. They have a new heart, a heart of stone has been removed and a heart of flesh has been put in its place. And then we respond with worship. And that's what we're about to see off island is to glorify God by making and then developing those disciples. And we've been talking as well in the series about, well, okay, that sounds great, but how are you going to do it? What is your plan? What is your strategy? How exactly do you accomplish that? Well, there's three key words. I like simplicity. And so there's three words that kind of encapsulate and describe how we accomplish our mission as a church. And they're in your notes. We've been talking about growth and how we grow spiritually. We've been talking about community the last couple of weeks. And we've been talking specifically about the need for community, for relationships, and how we cannot accomplish the mission by ourselves. We need others. And even when it's hard, and even when you want to run, that is when you need community the most. And then, today, next week, we're talking about influence, the third component of our strategy. And so, by the way, if you are kind of checking out ECC off-island, or if you're new to the region, and you're trying to find a home church to call your faith family, if God does not lead you here, that is okay. There are many churches. This is not the only one. We don't have the market or the corner or a monopoly. There are plenty of amazing churches in this very same region. But I will tell you this, that wherever you go, make sure you find a church where you can grow, a church where you're growing. Find a church where you have community. You must have community, and find a church where you can use your influence for Christ's kingdom. So that's all I ask. If it's here, we'll welcome you, we'll embrace you, we'll say, great, let's do this together, let's pursue this mission together. But if God leads you elsewhere, you make sure you find a church where this is being done, where you're growing because it's based on the gospel and the word of God, where you have community and where you have influence. And if you're doing all three, that's why it's a circle, then you know it's, it's a circle because you need all three continuously in balance. This is important. So today we're talking about influence. We're talking about what this means. And, and today's kind of the key question, the main thought that's going to be governing our, our discussion this morning. There in your notes. The key question for today is what does it mean to have influence for Jesus? Well, what does that actually mean? 
So what does it mean to have influence for Jesus? Well, I put there in your notes a definition by Oxford Dictionary. So that's, this is what Oxford says is a definition of the word influence. It means it's to have the capacity to have an effect on the character, the development, or the behavior of someone or something. So that's just a very generic dictionary definition of what the word influence means. And so it's to have an effect on the character, on the development, or on the very nature, on the behavior. And so you have influence, you have the capacity to affect someone or something else. That's what the word means. Now, definition according to Pastor Matthew, there's different ways to slice this pie. But from my perspective, as studying the scriptures and trying to make things as simple as possible and to take a whole Bible and distill it down to its essential teachings and then we'll look at the rest and flesh it out. But the word influence in your notes is allowing God to use you to transform lives for his glory. So then you notice the blank is transform. So that's what influence is, is you allowing God to use you to transform the lives of other people, but specifically, not for your glory, not for your pat on the back, not for your ego, for his glory. That's what it is. And so we see here that God is the one who is responsible. He's the one that transforms lives. It's the work of his spirit that transforms lives. God is the one who is at work in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. And so it is he, the creator, he's the one that spoke life into humans, and he's the one that continues to change people to reflect his character, his glory. God does it, but as the master craftsman, he uses tools. And we have the privilege of being that tool in the master's hand that he accomplishes, and he is painting this amazing canvas, this beautiful artwork called Redemptive History. And he is painting this, and he is creating something beautiful, all of human history pointing to Christ crucified and resurrected, and he uses you as the brush. That's what we are, tools in the master's hand. And what he's painting, what he's doing in redemption is his work but you and I have the privilege, and it's just that, a privilege. And so let's talk about using our influence that God has given to us for his glory. We're back in John 17, as we've been looking at this whole time. John 17, today we're in verses 15 through 18. Here's what Jesus prayed. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth, and you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And so God the Father has sent God the Son into the world, and he is then sending us into the world. Well, he is sending us to do what? To make disciples, to display his glory as we make and then develop disciples. That's what he's sending us to do. That's the mission. That's why we're here. Everything else we do works to accomplish that mission. And so influence, quite simply, is you being intentional. That's really simple. Influence is you being intentional to accomplish 
this mission entrusted to you by our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I, I like the word influence, and this is my word, and I really like it because it's kind of an open-ended word that describes many different biblical principles. It's kind of an umbrella term that covers many different thoughts that would be underneath it, but it's a really good word to encapsulate some of this essence I'm talking about on influencing, on impacting others with the gospel. And so the word influence basically summarizes anything that you do intentionally to impact someone else with the gospel. And so if you do something to intentionally impact someone else with the gospel of Christ, you are using your influence for him. And so some examples, and you could probably name a whole bunch, then you know there's some space to write some thoughts down on what you think. How can you use your influence? How can you be intentional to impact someone else with the gospel? Some examples would be what? Well, here in the church, for example, when you have teachers right here to your left in these shisha rooms that are caring for small children, what do you think they're teaching your four-year-olds in there? But Oprah Winfrey or, or, or Dr. Phil or pop psychology? No, they're using this. They're using God's word, and they are teaching. My wife is in there, so I'm biased, but they're teaching these little ones about who God is revealed in his word. They're teaching them the gospel on a four-year-old level, but it's a gospel. And if you look on this other side to your left, there's more rooms filled with children, ages 5 to 11. Guess what they're learning? They're learning the gospel. They're learning about who God is through his word. And so you have people that are currently, as you're sitting here hearing the word, that they're serving right now, teaching children. They're using their influence. They're influencing these children. And so there's so many little ways in the church. And so up here, earlier, people came and they rehearsed throughout the week, and then they played today and led the body in worship. Is that not part of using their talents, their skills, their abilities to influence for Christ? Well, of course. And so you can use your influence in the faith family as you serve, as you can be a greeter or be in a different ministry team, which is why you'll see in your worship, in your bulletin rather, you'll see that there's a little description on serving different opportunities, and you'll find a list of different ministry teams. And so here at ECC Off-Island, we don't want you to just come sit. We want you to experience God's pleasure as you use your influence for the faith family, for Christ. He's serving him. But it's not just in the walls of the zoo restaurant. It's not just in the church. We're also called to influence, as Jesus says, out in the world. And so you, you can lead a home group. First of all, you can attend one, but many of you could lead one. And then you can invite your friends and neighbors or coworkers, and they can experience belonging, which can lead them to believing in Jesus. Leading a home group can be very missional. But not just that, when you talk to your coworker and you just move the conversation where you ask about their faith and you have a conversation over lunch with the coworker about something spiritual, and you share your faith with him or her, is that not influencing for Jesus? Of course it is. I had someone in my home group that last week said, oh, I can't come. And I said, well, why not, you heathen? And he says, no, 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 I can't go 
because I've invited my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. And so his fam is coming to my house, and I'm going to just get to know my neighbors so that I can share the gospel with them here eventually. And so I want to build a relationship with my neighbors so that then I can be intentional with the gospel and see them come to faith. And I said, well, then don't come to home group. Invite your neighbors. That's more important for tonight. Now, don't make it every single Thursday or Friday, rather. You know, hang on a Thursday night or another day. But if this is the best for your schedule, that's influence. Building relationships with those in your community, those that you live with and and where you live or who you work with, when you build relationships to then share the gospel, that is being influential for the kingdom. When you invite a friend to your home group who doesn't know God or invite them to church, when you mentor a new believer, and we have them, we're having three baptized here in a couple of hours. We've had people receive Christ. And so when you take one of these new believers and, and you mentor him or her and spend time and encourage him or her, you're influencing. When you go on a short-term mission trip, they're going to go to India next month, that's influence. The list really kind of goes on, and I'm just throwing out some ideas. I'm sure you could be creative and pray and let God lead you. How can I influence? What can I do in the church and outside to see lives transformed? For God's glory. I'm going to tell you one that's heavy on my heart. And I hope you can catch the same vision. Abu Dhabi needs more churches. We need far more churches than what we have. There aren't enough churches in Abu Dhabi. And it's up to us to plant more churches. That is the pattern of the New Testament. Paul left, planted more churches, Planting more churches, he would leave an elder who would then appoint more elders, and he would go plant another church, and then he would encourage these young pastors like Titus and Timothy and others. And so a church that is not planting more churches is one that is not accomplishing the mission. And I did not move from Texas and sell everything I own and bring my family to this incredibly blazing hot place. I, I didn't come here to simply lead one church. I didn't come here for that. I came here to see this culture transform for the glory of Christ. I came here to see us penetrate this culture. I came to see a movement started in Abu Dhabi so that Christ's name is exalted. And that doesn't happen with just one church. It doesn't. We have to use the influence God given to us and go plant more churches. And my vision would be no more than two years from now. I'm not saying down the road. I'm saying soon. I'm saying in the next few months, we're going to be having a conversation on how are we going to do this. I've already been talking to other pastors in Dubai who are church planting and even with Pastor Cam on the island and thinking, okay, how are we going to get together? How are we going to use our collective influence to exalt the name of Christ and plant more churches. And so this is real. So we're going to do this as a church, and I pray that you get behind this vision of church planting. That's what I'm about, seeing more churches using our influence for Christ. The key is being intentional. That's the key, is not sitting on your hands and just living your life. You just go to work, you go home, you eat, you go to bed, pray with your kids, get up, go to work, go home, pray with your kids, go to bed, get up, 
go to work, and then you live your life and you're in this monotony and you never even stop to think, how can I use the influence God's given me to go and make and develop disciples for Christ who has saved me? Being intentional, that is the key. Looking for opportunities. And so let's take a closer look. But looking at these few verses, we just read them. But let's look at them. There's three realities. They're in your notes. When we're influencing for Jesus, it results in three realities. Number one, and you know, it's resisting. When we are influencing for Jesus, it results in resisting Satan's power. Verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus did not want us to leave the world. He did not want us to be isolated and insulated within the walls of the church. He says, I pray that as I send them out, that they will be protected from our enemy. Because listen, we are in a very real spiritual battle. This is not a game. This is not hocus pocus. This is, this is not pretend. This is not fairy tales. This is not just myths. It's real. There is a very real spiritual realm that our eyes can't see. But then again, my eyes can't see oxygen yet. I can breathe it in. It's real. The naked eye can't see it, but the molecules are floating around me. There are radio waves and sound waves bouncing around all around me in this room. I can't see them, but with my cell phone, I can pick up the signal, make a phone call. I can't see the radio waves, but if I get my radio, I can pick it up and I can hear them. There's a real spiritual world around you that your eyes can't perceive by the grace of God, but that's real, and it's all around us, and it's a real battle, and there's real spiritual bullets that are flying by over your head, and if you're not careful, you're going to be shot. It's real. Satan is a real enemy, and Jesus prays for protection. You have many opportunities to influence for Christ. If you will open your eyes, I promise you they're all around you. There are opportunities. But have you ever experienced maybe a coworker and, and you, you feel in your spirit, oh, I should go talk to that person. I just feel that I should see how they're doing. Or you're having a conversation and you know you could very easily turn the conversation to a spiritual conversation, talk about your faith. Yet you find yourself thinking, I really should, but I don't want to. Anyone ever? Just me? Okay. Fine. I'm the only pagan in here that's honest enough to admit that there are times when I don't want to. But do you know why we don't want to? Do you have any idea why there are times when you know you should engage, you know you should be influential, you know you should share your faith, you know you should invite them to your home group, but you choose not to. You know you should sign up to serve in a capacity, and you choose not to. Do you know why there's this battle going on inside of you? It's spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. You are engaged in the battle, and it's real, but it's spiritual. It's not physical. And so this battle going inside of you is merely a reflection of the battle that's going on in the unseen world. We're in a battlefield. 
And we have to battle and say, will I influence or will I not? Will I go engage the enemy or will I retreat and be scared and just hide in my hole? But, but it's a real battle. And so let's not be confused on what's happening here. It's real. And so Jesus prays that we would be safe from the evil one. But see, here's the beauty of this. Because of the power of the gospel, because of the power of Jesus with his spirit living in and through us, we can resist the evil one. We, he's already defeated. He already lost at the cross. He was defeated. Christ has been victorious. And so all we have to do is draw near to the cross, draw near to Christ, let the Spirit work in us, let us yield ourselves to the Spirit, and by His power, we can be victorious in our lives and we can influence for the kingdom. We can. But it is a battle. My vision for ECC Off-Island, as I mentioned, to be a church planting movement, but even, even beyond that, a lot of pastors, their vision is to just pack the building. Well, we've already mostly done that in this little restaurant. And so we're praying for God to provide either a larger venue or just give us wisdom with that. But, but my vision is not to get a bigger building to pack that one. It's not about packing the building. It's about penetrating the culture. It's so much more than packing the building. What I want to see is our culture penetrated, making and developing disciples. And so the word discipleship is not about programs. Listen, a lot of churches talk about this as though it's a program. But discipleship is not a program. It's about people. It's about relationships. You see, many people in our churches, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I, I don't want anyone to be embarrassed, but I'm sure privately many of you, which is most churches, this is just the normal default thinking, believe that it's up to the pastor through excellent programs and through excellent preaching that people come in to the church. They, most people tend to think that they just go to church and the pastor, he, he, he better be really good at what he does. And through programs and preaching, people will come in, receive Christ, and the church grows. And it's all about that paradigm. I'm here to tell you that that is foreign to the scriptures. That is not what making disciples is about. It is not about the pastor with the programs. It's about the people. What I plan to do, what I'm hoping to do, what we're trying already to do, our vision is to build the best people, not the best programs, so that when you are built up, then you can go into your workplace, your community, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, and you go carry the mission, you go make disciples. It's not about bringing everyone in, it's about us going out. And we come in to be inspired and fueled and, and challenged and to have the fellowship, which is so great for the soul to fuel us to go accomplish the mission. And so it's about individual people doing this. It is not about the pastor or the programs. It's not. It's too small. Friday morning is not enough time to truly penetrate the culture. Each of us individually must do that. And we are invading the kingdom of Satan and claiming it back for the kingdom of Christ. And so when we're influencing 
for Jesus. Number one, we resist Satan's power. Number two, we are witnessing God's power. And so we resist the demonic evil power, and then we witness, so we're witnessing God's power. In verses 16 and 17, in the same verses, it says, he's praying that they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You see, these verses say that God has power. The power of the gospel. You see, if you read in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it tells us that, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The power of God is the gospel. And what you see here, he says, they are not of the world. What does Jesus mean that humans, his disciples, are not of this world? Well, we clearly, in a sense, are of this world because you were born here. You are a human. This is your home. This planet is earth. We are of this world. But why does Jesus say that we're not of this world just as he is not of this world? He is talking about regeneration. He is talking about transformation. He's describing the reality of a believer that has received Christ. Their heart is so radically changed. It is so different that it's so foreign to this world that he says they're not even of this world. And so as a believer in Christ, we have a new nature. We have the Holy Spirit. We've been transformed from the inside out. We have been resurrected spiritually. We have been regenerated, brought to life. And so we're so radically different. Our heart is so new. We have the Holy Spirit that we're not even of this world. We're so different. Our desires are different from the world. Our God is different from the God of this world. See, and so verse 16 is describing how we share in the very nature of Jesus himself. They're not of the world as I am not of the world. We share the divine nature that Jesus has. Now, it's just a shadow. It's just a taste. The day will come when we die and are resurrected and we're in heaven that we'll have glorification. We will be completely made holy. But until that day comes, we wage the battle every single day. But we're not of this world. We're different. We've been regenerated. Now, verse 17 describes sanctification. He says, sanctify them. That's just a process of growing and being made more holy and being more like Christ, being sanctified, being made holy. And so verse 16 describes making disciples, and verse 17 describes developing them, which is our mission. The Spirit does it, but we are the vessels that he uses. And so if you are a disciple of Jesus, your mission is to make more disciples for him. And so disciples who make more disciples, that's what we're about. Number three, when we are influencing, first of all, we resist Satan's power. We witness God's power of transformation. And number three, we are accomplishing God's plan. And so we're accomplishing it. That's what we're doing. When we're influencing we're battling Satan, we're seeing God at work, and then we are accomplishing, we're doing God's plan. Verse 18, we read it a second ago. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
Jesus here is revealing exactly how his plan is accomplished. He accomplishes his plan by sending us into the world just like the Father sent him. So there's a pattern here that we'll look at here in a minute. But you're wondering, well, okay, well, what exactly is this plan, or how does, it, how does it work? Let's take just a couple of minutes to read in Luke 24. I know we're in John 17, but just for a minute. Luke 24, verse 46. This is after Christ resurrected, before he went back to the Father. Luke 24, 46. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead. He said it was written, it was prophesied in many places in the Old Testament, all pointing to Christ. It was written, it was prophesied. God promised and God accomplished that Christ should suffer on the third day be resurrected. You see, you and I are sinners, and we stand guilty before a holy God. Now, that's not popular to say today, but it's true. We're not only guilty, but we, we have incurred shame. We have broken the relationship, so we have both broken God's laws and we stand guilty, but we have shamed him by violating that relationship of trust and love that he has with us and for us. And what we have done is so evil. It's so bad. I mean, what we do every day is really bad. And sometimes we think that it's not, oh, it's not that bad. We're all human. We all make mistakes. Yes, that's true, but we... What we have done, according to the scriptures, is that we deserve the death penalty. That's what we deserve because of what we've done. And yet God loves us. That is so incredible that in the middle of our sin, God loves us. And he sent Jesus to die in our place. It says that Jesus had to suffer and die. Someone had to pay. Somebody had to pay for your sins and for mine. And that is what Jesus did. He paid it all. But he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected, and he's alive today. So if you read the next couple of verses, so he says that it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So Christ died and suffered so that repentance and forgiveness, you can be forgiven. I don't know what you've done. I don't know how bad it is or how bad you've messed up. But I'm here to tell you, according to the scriptures, that there is forgiveness for you. There is hope for you. There absolutely is. Christ came and died in your place. But you have to repent is what Jesus says. And if you ask him to forgive you, he will. And we have a couple of minutes, and not very long, before we will observe the Lord's table communion. So hang with me for a couple of minutes, because I want to take just a second. If there's someone here in this room that has been seeking, or you've been searching, and you just, even now, for the first time, beginning to come to grips with the reality that Christ came and died in your place. And God will forgive you if you will ask him to, if you will repent of your sins and turn to Christ alone as your Savior. So the response to the gospel, to Christ's death on the cross, is repentance and faith. 
repent and believe with all of your heart in the gospel. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I want to pray for you just for a moment. And I know that many of us are accustomed to doing this at the very end of the, of the worship gathering, and we're not quite there yet. But if you are here and you are feeling something inside of you that's pushing you, propelling you, and, and you can't hardly explain it, but for the first time this makes sense to you, and you understand that Christ died for you, and he offers you forgiveness, if you'll repent and believe in him, then right now, as we speak, you can ask God to forgive you. You can ask God to save you, and he will. And you, too, will receive the Holy Spirit, and he will begin to change you from the inside out, as we've been describing. If as we speak you're asking Christ to save you, I would ask that you would come find me after the worship service. I have a card I want to give to you that you can fill out very briefly, and we can get together and talk more about you growing in this new faith. Father, I pray for those in this room that are doing business with you, for those that are acknowledging their sinfulness and asking you to save them. We thank you for Jesus, his work on the cross. We're so unworthy. We don't deserve anything good from you except your judgment. That's all we deserve. But we thank you that your son came and died and paid our penalty and took our shame. And now, Father, you desire to forgive us. You desire to be close to us if we will simply respond with faith and repentance. And so I pray for anyone in this room that even as we speak is receiving you as their Savior, that they would know that you are with them and that you give them the courage to pursue you. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's plan, indeed, is redemption. That is why Christ came. That is what he is about. And he's allowed us to accomplish it. In the same Luke 24, verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. And so we are the witnesses. A witness is someone that saw something. If you see an accident, the police are going to ask you, what did you see? Not what do you think, but what did you see? Because you are an eyewitness. And so we are the witnesses of what Christ has done in our lives. And so then we go tell others what he's done. And so this is how this works. Here is the pattern. God sent the Son. The Son sends us. Jesus took the 12. He invested in them. When he went up to the Father after Judas betrayed him, he left the entire mission in the hands of primarily 11 men. Do you realize that? that he left it in the hands of 11 men. When there were crowds and thousands were coming, what did Christ do? He would break up the crowds. He didn't want the crowds. Jesus could have started a huge megachurch if he wanted to. I mean, he had 5,000 at one point. If he kept feeding them bread, he would have had a huge church, if you will. He could have easily had crowds, but he didn't focus on the crowds. He invested in the small number of disciples. That's what he did. You see, Jesus' plan to reach the world was through 11 men. The mission is accomplished with individuals living out the mission. 
not through large movements. The large movements come from the few that are investing in others. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle called separately to the Gentiles. You see, the Apostle Paul went and planted churches. But he would invest in the leaders. He invested in Timothy and Sylvanus and Titus. He invested in them. And then if you read 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 on your own time, again, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he describes, he says, so this is Paul writing to young Pastor Timothy, what I have entrusted to you, what I have taught you, you then teach others who can then teach other faithful men. And so there's this chain. And so Paul invested in Timothy, and then Timothy invested in others, and then they invested in others, and then they invested in others, and then invested in others, and the chain continued, and, and the movement caught fire, and the world was transformed, but it was with individuals discipling other individuals, not through big programs. That's how this works. That is the key. Discipleship, disciple-making and developing is not one thing that we do. It's not just one little ministry. ECCF Island has the music ministry and the kids ministry and the youth ministry and the discipleship ministry, and it's separate. No, that is not how it is. It is not one little separate ministry. Disciple-making is what we do, period. That's what we do as a church. Everything else that we do is to accomplish disciple-making and then developing them. And so here's what you can do as, as we close the message and we move into communion. Your influence. How can you begin this week really using your influence to continue what Christ entrusted to us? I put there pray, look, ask, and do. Under pray, well, pray for what? Pray that God will put someone in your path. Pray that God will bring someone and put him on your heart or put her on your heart, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, someone. Pray and ask God, give me someone to invest in. You open your eyes and I guarantee you, he will say, there it is. But pray. And number two, look. Look for someone to invest in. As you're praying, be intentional and look for someone that you can really invest in. Someone maybe even outside this church. Look for some. Ask. Approach that person. And if they're a seeker and you know because you talked about spiritual things and they're interested in the Bible but don't go to church and don't know Jesus, but they're a seeker, well, say, hey, would you want to meet once a week over lunch or before or after work or on a Saturday, whenever, and ask that person, can we meet just, you know, for one hour a week? And maybe we can read the Bible together and just pray and just learn about this thing called faith together. And if you want a book to work through, I can recommend several. But be intentional to meet with that individual one-on-one, maybe one-on-two at most, you know, just small. Meet with that person regularly and invest in that person. Maybe if you're, if you're an older gentleman, no one's old in this room, but if, if you're not, you know, a young buck, there are some guys in this room that are younger than you. Maybe you can take one of them and really mentor him or her. Ladies, read Titus 2. Women, invest in younger women. We have a lot of young women in here that need you to mentor them. How to love their husbands, how to love their children, how to live out the mission. Where are you influencing? Ask someone and enter into this discipleship relationship and invest in them. 
and then do. Well, do what? Meet once a week. Read the Bible. And if you want, I mean it, if you want examples on what curriculum teams, I can, I can give you some. But do it. This is how movements begin. This is how we accomplish the mission. You pray, you look, you ask, and then you do. Programs don't make disciples. People make disciples. It's the relationships. This is what we're about. Next week is a special Friday. It's called Membership Friday. You've heard about it for a couple of weeks now. Next week is important because we're going to take time in the worship gathering and we're going to read our covenant together here on a Friday morning. We're going to take some time to just pray and you'll be given a card, a very simple membership card, but a card that if you fill out, what you're saying is, I'm a believer in Christ, I've been coming to this church, and I believe God's leading me to make this my faith family and have formal church membership. It's, it's there in, in, in your bulletin. It talks about it as well. So look in your bulletin as well. And then we're going to celebrate because this is a celebration. Now, the gospel is serious, but we, we enjoy each other and do this together. So what we're going to do is we're going to go have a picnic afterwards, a church-wide picnic. And we'll bring the food, and you bring the kids, and we'll have a good time. And we'll, we'll end this series on our mission. We'll, we'll end the Follow Me series next Friday. And as, and as we conclude this series, and, and we, we end with a time of prayer and of committing to be influential, of growing and having community together and saying, this is who we are, this is our mission, I'm in, we're going to celebrate together, and then we'll go have a picnic. There's a couple of places we're trying to nail down. It's hard in Abu Dhabi sometimes to nail stuff down. But, but it'll be somewhere, a picnic in the park pretty close to here. And so don't make lunch plans next week, okay? Make plans to go with us and meet other people and, and have this casual opportunity to make some new friends that you've seen and never met them. Well, you can next week at the park as you celebrate together. Membership Friday is an important week, so pray for that. In preparation for that, I ask that you would go by the back table and that you would please pick up three documents. Is there in, in your bulletin? Read these documents between now and next week because it's important that you know we believe before you commit to this faith family as your formal church. Will you commit? That's, that's the bottom line question is what are we committed to? My passion is to see this church unleashing this community, and, and we're going to do it together. And this morning, we're going to celebrate together by partaking in Holy Communion. I'm going to ask the men to come to the front to distribute the elements, and the worship team as well to come to the front. And as they take their places, I remind you that communion is a memorial. We remember, but communion is also a symbol. It symbolizes the gospel itself. But Quite honestly, communion is more than just a symbol and a memorial. It's more than that. It's a sign. It's a prophetic sign that points backwards and also points forwards. And so in communion, we think back. Think back to what? To the cross and Christ's work for us, that he accomplished our forgiveness on the cross. And, of course, the bread symbolizes his body and the juice symbolizes the blood that stained that cross. And so we look back. It points back to Christ's work on the cross, but it also points forward. You see, a lot of times people come to the Lord's table 
and to kind of have this really sad, oh, poor Jesus. Oh, poor Jesus died on the cross. And we have this overly somber, sad, uh, it's not like that. Listen to me. This is a celebration. Don't feel sorry for Jesus. He's alive. He's on the, he is not on the cross anymore. He's on his throne in heaven. He's not dead. And so we don't approach this with this sad, sorry for Jesus. Jesus is alive and well and in charge, and he's going to come back one day in full glory. And we celebrate his victory over death over sin and over Satan. We celebrate that. That's what we're doing. And we don't just look back to the cross. It's a sign, prophetically, pointing forward to that day when he comes back and we will eat, we will feast. And it won't be a little bread and a little juice. It's going to be a feast at the Lord's table. That's what's awaiting us. That's what this points to. The banquet. The wedding feast of the Lamb, it points to that day when our joy is complete, when sin is behind us, and it's a distant memory. We're enjoying Jesus and each other with no more sin and no more pain and no more tears. And this is a, a prophetic sign that points to Christ's victory on the cross. So it's a celebration. That's what it is. And so as we ponder these things and get our hearts right before God, as we await his coming, we're going to first partake of the Lord's bread, which reminds us of his body. And I'm going to ask one of our brothers to please pray.